0: From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com.
1: I'm John Shuck. The Qur'an is like an intimate conversation. When you're talking to a good friend from many years back, you know, the topic will just go to one thing and then another. There's a strand, all the different topics that you talk about are linked together. They're linked through your bond of friendship, through your, your intimate relationship. Some authors have said that as one develops one's intimacy with God and with the Qur'an, those things become ever more apparent. This is the second program in my series, Meet
0: Your Muslim Neighbor. Today's neighbor is from the United Arab Emirates. Dr. Joseph Lombard is the general editor of the Study Qur'an a new translation published in November 2015 by Harper. Dr. Lombard is a professor at the American University of Sharjah in the Department of Arabic and Translation Studies. He was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and brought up in the Episcopal Church. He converted to Islam when he was a student at George Washington University. He's published many articles and books on Islamic philosophy, Sufism, and Quranic studies, Two of his books include Islam, Fundamentalism, and the Betrayal of Tradition, and Submission, Faith and Beauty, the Religion of Islam. Welcome, Dr. Lombard, to Religion for Life.
1: Thank you so much for having me, John. It's an honor to be here.
0: You are the general editor of the Study Quran, a new translation. What is different about this translation from others?
1: There are several things that are different. The most important thing that makes it stand out in the history of Quran translations into Western languages, is that it has a running commentary of close to one million words, so that one does not have to look only at the translation, but one can get a variety of other ways in which a verse could be translated, and also how the Islamic tradition has interacted with certain verses over time.
0: In the introduction uh, by uh, Dr. Nasser, the uh, he writes that the Quran is for Muslims the verbatim word of God revealed during the 23-year period of the prophetic mission of the prophet Muhammad through the agency of the archangel Gabriel. Do all Muslims um, understand or regard the Quran as, in that way as the word of God?
1: Yes, they do. Uh, you will find that even people who we might uh, deem to be more liberal Muslims in the modern context do take the Qur'an as uh, as the word of God. There's an important point to make here, and I'm Mm -hmm. really glad that you brought this up, is that when Muslims take the Qur'an as the word of God, that does not actually mean that this would lead to a kind of, one might say, a rigid fundamentalist interpretation. It's actually the process of taking the Qur'an as the word of God that leads away from fundamentalist interpretations Because it is admitting that no human intellect could possibly encompass the whole of the divine word. And so no one interpretation is ever going to suffice. And that's why in the study Quran, we've given, for some verses, you can actually find seven different interpretations of a particular verse.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about uh, about how many interpretations and how many translations are there and the debate uh, within the study of the Qur'an itself.
1: Well, there's a lot of debates within the study of the Qur'an itself. Um, there are over 60 translations into English alone uh, of, the, of the Qur'an, and I, I imagine that there are even more than that, and I certainly haven't read all of them. Uh, there are some debates that rage within the academy, as to what are the origins of the Quranic text? Was it actually something that originally developed in Arabia, or did it actually uh, first develop in the uh, area of, uh, of Syria and Palestine? Um, but in, re- in the last decade, for the most part, manuscript evidence and historical evidence has been able to substantiate that the understanding that has been passed down within the Muslim historical record over time is most likely is the most, uh, shall we say, reasonable explanation of the history of the text.
0: Now, in the introduction, um, Dr. Nasser also mentioned that the study of this particular study will be based on Muslim tradition as opposed to, say, a fundamentalist interpretation on one end or perhaps a Western historical critical view on another. How might an historical critical view be different to a traditional Muslim interpretation?
1: Well, that's a difficult question to answer because there are so many different historical critical views of the text. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why we actually chose to situate our commentary within the classical Muslim tradition is that there has been a tendency within the Western academic uh, treatment of the Quran to eschew many of the interpretations and especially historical contexts that have been given by Muslims over time. One thing that people tend not to realize is that from the very beginning of Islam and the very beginning of the tradition of Quran interpretation, Muslims recognized that all texts have historical contexts, and that to fully understand a text, one needs to know the historical context. Ali ibn Abi Talib, who is revered in both Sunni and Shiite Islam, is recorded to have said to, uh, to a man that if he did not know the historical contexts, what's known in Arabic as the Asbab and Nuzul, um, that if he didn't know them, he shouldn't comment on the Qur'an. So while modern historical critical methods do have something to lend to our understanding of the Quran, it's important that they also be embedded in and fully cognizant of how the Islamic classical tradition has treated this same question.
0: And of course, one of the historical, or the main historical event, of course, is is the Prophet uh, Muhammad. Um, And I'm wondering if you can tell me in what sense, if any, uh, did he have input into the Qur'an? How is his life connected with the Qur'an? How do we understand that, perhaps historically and theologically?
1: Well, that's a very, that's a very important question. Now, for Muslims, Muslims will say that, uh, that the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the actual wording of, uh, of the Qur'an. And there are actually several verses of the Qur'an that are interpreted by classical Muslim scholars uh, to be statements to that effect, um, that, uh, that the Prophet himself has nothing to do with it. And there's even one verse where it says that if he tried to attribute these words to us, we would take him by the hand and we would cut his life vein, and none of you would be able to do anything about it. So that seems to be a firm statement in the Qur'an that there's no human voice within this However, at the same time Theologically Muslims say that the Prophet Muhammad is the embodiment of the Qur'an Hmm. And that it is through him that we learn how to put the Qur'an in action How to live in accord with the Qur'an There's a famous saying of one of the Prophet's wives, Aisha, that when she was asked, after he had passed away, what was he like? What were his character traits? She said his character traits were the Qur'an. And so really since the beginning Mm. of Islam, Muslims have sought to, in a sense, learn about the life of the Prophet Muhammad in order to understand how to act in accord with the teachings of the Qur'an.
0: If you are just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Dr. Joseph Lombard. He's the general editor of The Study Quran, a new translation and commentary. One of the things I think that perhaps Christians misunderstand is comparing the Bible to the Quran. They're very different uh, books. One is a a library, and the Quran voice is is one voice um, in the first person. Um, So there's that difference. But also, there's a sense in which the Quran for Muslims is is probably closer, in a sense, to uh, Jesus Christ is for Christians. Is that true?
1: Yes, and this is an observation that's been made. I think that Montgomery Watt was the first person uh, to make this observation that uh, that for Christianity, Jesus is the Word of God, and for uh, and for Islam, the uh, the Quran is the Word of God. And uh, and Jesus is even referred to as a word from God in the Quran Um, And but the point that you made about the difference between the particular uh, Voices within the text is very important because there has been a tendency within Western treatments of the Quran to think of it as if it were something that were compiled in the way that many of the books of the Bible we now know were compiled with multiple authors, even in a single book. And as we've gone through and we've developed more rigorous techniques for analyzing this, especially stylometric analysis, where you can really actually do a statistical analysis of the frequency of particular phrases and of particular words, we've been able to show, as well as one can scientifically, that this is a book by a single author. When it comes to the realm of academia, we can't prove divine origin. That's nothing we can either prove or disprove. Um, But uh, as regards a single author, it does appear to be a book by a single author.
0: So what is the proper way to read the Quran? I, I have read the Quran through, but I have to say it was, it was hard um, because uh, it seemed that there didn't seem to be <laughs> a plot, you might say. I, I kind of found myself a little confused about that. And I'm wondering what uh, maybe that was just a first stab at it. I need to go back at it. Uh, how would you uh, advise uh, someone who's not of the Muslim tradition or perhaps within the Muslim tradition itself to uh, read the Quran?
1: Now this is an excellent uh, question and it's something that, um, that, that has often bothered uh, Western readers. When they come to the Quran, they say it seems to be skipping around a lot. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a very challenging read in that way. But one thing that, uh, that I would say is to think about some of the questions that you initially have about the nature of reality, about the nature of God, about your relationship with God, and kind of frame those questions to yourself. And then start reading the Quran and try to say, okay, what is what are these verses saying about those questions? Um, because really, the Quran is like an intimate conversation. When Mm. you're talking to a good friend from many years back, you know, the topic will just go to one thing and then another. There's a strand, all the different topics that you talk about are linked together. They're linked through your bond of friendship, through your, your intimate relationship. Um, But that is what makes the link. It's not necessarily the topics, it's not the themes. And so as one goes in and one reads the Qur'an more and more over time, many of these links become apparent. Some authors have said that as one develops one's intimacy with God and with the Qur'an, those things become ever more apparent.
0: This relationship with the Qur'an really is... um Spiritual, isn't it? I mean, there's a comparison made in the introduction between the Eucharist in Christianity and the recitation of the Quran in prayers in Arabic. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that? That it really there is. You mentioned the word intimacy. That it isn't. You don't go to the Quran necessarily for historical information. Primarily, you go to it to have a connection with the divine.
1: Is that right? You go to it to have a yes, you go to it to have a connection with the divine, but we should make a distinction here because Mm -hmm. uh, in that particular uh, issue, Dr. Nasser is discussing the liturgical reading of the Quran, which is like a sacrament for Muslims. One should be in a state of ritual purity, one should really sit down, face the Qibla try to do it uh, in accord with some of the traditional uh, principles of recitation uh, in order to do it as effectively as one could. And uh, some will also say, try to do it with presence of heart, to the best of one's ability. Um, But then there is also the process of picking up the Qur'an uh, for, you might say, more intellectual and analytical reasons. Mm. Uh, This is also a process that Muslims will go through. So, for example, there are some some people say 300, other people say 500, but there's somewhere around between 300, 500 verses of the Quran that address issues of law, like contract law and uh, and um, inheritance law and things along these lines. And those, in a sense, should be looked at, you might say, in a more uh, analytical um, manner to see how one can apply them under certain circumstances. So there are multiple different ways that one, uh, that one could approach it. And I won't say it should always only be In that particular, shall we say, sacramental mode, but that for Muslims is the primary mode, and if one doesn't have that primary mode of it, Muslims will say that one's kind of analytical process coming to the text will be uh, potentially corrupted.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the law and and, and the Quran and how that's interpreted today. Perhaps you know, of course, m- many critics of Islam and uh, perhaps hysterically will talk about you know uh, the Sharia law or something of that nature that uh, Muslims want to in- import a, an ancient kind of way uh, and in opposition to democracy or something like that. But that, obviously, that's shallow, but how do you understand, uh, for example, law, as revealed in the Quran, uh, to more modern understandings
1: of uh, the law? Well, one of the things that has to be clarified when we think about uh, Sharia is that Sharia is, uh, is in a sense, you might say, um, the uh, kind of understood as being an eternal way, and it's more than just law. mm mm-hmm. The real proper word for law is jurisprudence, or fiqh, and there are different schools. We don't say that there are schools of law in Islam, we say that there are schools of jurisprudence. Now, those schools of jurisprudence have some fundamental underlying principles, but the way that they're applied in different historical circumstances varies greatly from one place to another. So there is absolutely nothing monolithic about Islamic law. In fact, when the British came into India, they found the diverse applications of Islamic law to be incredibly frustrating. And so you couldn't really set up policies from one province to another because of it. And so that's why they actually tried to abolish uh, the different schools and the way of, of applying jurisprudence in different parts of of India.
0: I want to talk about science and the Quran. Um, in Christianity, there has been an ongoing discussion, and ongoing conflict between religion and science, uh, between creationism, for example, taking the six-day creation story in Genesis as as literal, um, having a hard time understanding science uh, as it's being revealed to us, a 14-billion-year-old uh, universe and humans evolving from other species, with the Quran. Um is modern science challenged some of its interpretation, or is the Quran um, compatible with modern science?
1: I think the Quran is completely compatible with science. I mean, for example, look at what we refer to as the Copernican uh, revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The fact that the Earth rotates around the sun was known to Muslim astronomers um, you know, long before it was known to European astronomers. Uh, the Ptolemaic view of the universe was broken down Within the Islamic world long before it was broken down within the European world and this wasn't a problem This didn't challenge uh, People's particular theology. It didn't have to be a problem uh, within the West in fact But uh, but some people decided to to you know put a stake in the ground over this one Um, and these types of things haven't really caused the same shock waves in the history of Islam that they have caused in, uh, in European history. Now, this is not to say that you're not going to find some kind of fundamentalists, uh, strident puritanicalists out there who have uh, neither an understanding of classical Islamic teachings nor an understanding of, the, uh, of uh, modern science and will try to deny some aspects of modern science based upon their particular reading um, of a Quranic verse, but you know for example one of the things that you say Regarding you know the earth was created in six days. This discussion occurs in the Quran as well However, there is also a verse which says that a day of yours is like a thousand days with your Lord you know, Meaning that when or a, a day of your Lord's is like a thousand days a thousand of your days meaning that you really can't understand what a day of God actually means. So don't try to interpret this literally. Um, There have been Muslims on all sides of the spectrum as regards evolution, uh, for example, and uh, and, you know, for the most part, people say, well, if that is the theory uh, that is best, that does best explain the data as it is, then that's what it is. But it's not really something that uh, that is necessarily always problematic from within a Quranic worldview. Joseph
0: Lombard, my guest on Religion for Life, general editor of the study Quran, a new translation and commentary. Uh, Another question, uh, I was really intrigued by this one uh, sentence uh, that Dr. Nasser wrote in the uh, introduction, Uh, the Quranic sacred history is seen more as events within the human soul rather than uh, just historical events in the world that all human beings possess within their being uh, for example, the qualities of Moses and those of Pharaoh. So in a sense, in reading uh, the Quran or uh, studying it, or it, it is uh, uh, about human relationships. And one might look at the verses, in a sense, metaphorically or for a deeper meaning than just the literal text reading. Is that right?
1: Yes, and I think that there's really, if one looks, there really is a tendency within the classical Islamic tradition uh, to often look uh, for uh, for deeper symbolisms. Uh, Within these uh, within these stories and more of what these are telling us um, about uh, the nature of human beings and uh, the ways in which human beings tend to respond uh, to uh, the truth Challenging uh, the paradigms that they themselves have built up over time and one of the main things one of the main themes throughout the Quran is that uh, whenever truth comes it is always the people who are uh, benefiting from a corrupt social order that want to oppose it. Um, And so you see this pattern over and over and over again, that it's always the well-situated people of particular places that opposed Moses, that opposed Abraham, that opposed uh, Noah, et cetera, et cetera, on down the line. But to go back to how you started that question, when you try to look at the Qur'an as a historian, and you want to construct history from the Quranic text, it will be incredibly frustrating. It is not a text from which you could, in a sense, reconstruct a history of mankind or anything.
0: I want to take us now into a different direction. Americans, uh, within the past uh, couple of months, have become, frankly, hysterical about Islam and about Muslims. We have a presidential candidate who wants to close the borders uh, to Muslims. There has been a rise of Islamophobia. What can non-Muslims do to be supportive of our Muslim neighbors and friends?
1: Learn, first and foremost. There's a wonderful uh, Arabic proverb um, which says that, uh, that if one does not take on the bitterness of learning, uh, for even an hour, one will imbibe ignorance for the rest of one's life. Um, and we see that basically in a sense, this is what happened, uh, with Nazi Germany refused to actually kind of learn from the lessons of the past and things that happened. And they, while they, they spread for a little bit and their power gained for a little bit, they have gone down in infamy. Um, for the spread of Nazism, and it's something that that still affects the German psyche t- uh, to this day. So learn, learn about Islam, learn what Muslims actually say. Read books doesn't have to be the study Quran. Pick up another Quran. If you're going to read the Quran, I would say read the study Quran. Don't just pick it up in a sense, read it alone, and draw your own judgments. I mean that's what ISIS does. Um, but read it with uh, with some kind of explanation of the text. Um, and there are other books uh, that are out there you know, get to know some of the local uh, local Muslim groups. But don't take what some of these other groups that are out there um, who really just want to fan ideological flames. Don't take what they're saying. Um, as I think Malala Yousafzai has said, she said that terrorism is fought with knowledge.
0: You mentioned ISIS and then you mentioned fight with knowledge. You've written about this in your book, Islam, Fundamentalism, and the Betrayal of Tradition. Now, we know the vast, vast majority of Christians are not those who go out and bomb abortion clinics or approve of that, and yet so often Islam is associated with ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Talk a bit about those who misuse the Quran, who betray the tradition by selecting certain verses and what is a proper interpretation of those verses
1: well if you look at many of the uh, verses that uh, groups such as al-qaeda and isis will invoke such as verse 47 4 of the quran verse 9 5 of the quran and others actually the this goes back to the beginning of our conversation that i mentioned that one can't interpret the quran without knowing the historical contexts in Uh, Both of those instances, both of which are verses that talk about fighting uh, those who oppose you and uh, do not let up until you have struck their necks. That it actually, in each instance, the classical commentators say that the application of this verse is limited to circumstances that are exactly like those that the prophet faced at the time that that particular verse was revealed. It is not something that you can go out and say, okay, well, this verse says kill the disbelievers wherever you find them. The commentators will say what that means is kill those disbelievers of this particular tribe who are fighting you right now because they're not going to let up in any way whatsoever. Um, Hmm. And so it's that direct warning that's coming, in a sense, to the Prophet. Whereas a group like Al-Qaeda or ISIS will now want to take that and say, no, this is a universal declaration uh, that means this for all time and in all ways. And they will take that, which is an interpretation of those verses that is rejected by all classically trained scholars uh, today, And that's why all classically trained scholars have denounced ISIS. You will not find one single classically trained Muslim scholar who is with ISIS or who confirms ISIS. And you will find many classically trained scholars whom ISIS has killed because they knew that that was their greatest threat. Um, So they are really taking this out of context. They eschew, they reject the whole of the classical commentary tradition that we have used uh, in uh, in the study Quran, and you know, just take they 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 really do go up and just take these isolated verses and then give them a whole new interpretation and apply them in uh, a very innovative, shall we say, way. A final question: Is
0: there a primary misconception that non-Muslims have about the Quran and
1: Islam? I think one of the fundamental Um, misconceptions that comes up over and over again is when people try to say that Islam needs uh, a reformation. Hmm. Um, There is something that you would say that Islam, if it is in need of something, it's in need of a restoration. That is a restoration of the classical principles of the classical tradition in how the Quran was viewed and understood. The discourses of classical Islam were not discourses of only of prescription. They were also discourses of exploration. And the Islamic tradition is vast. And it has not only um, been left aside uh, in the West's uh, view and analysis of Islam, but also many Muslims have forgotten it uh, themselves. And it really is that broad-based tradition that needs to be reinstilled. There's a famous uh, saying within Islam that says that the differences among scholars is a mercy from God. And that is something that is basically meant That when you look, there are multiple ways in which this religion can be understood. There are multiple ways in which it can be interpreted. And there are multiple different ways in which it can be practiced. And again, to go back to how we began our conversation, the word of God is too exalted and too infinite for there to only be one way to live in accord with it. Dr. Joseph Lombard, my guest on Religion
0: for Life, general editor of the Study Quran: A New Translation and Commentary. Thank you so much for that work and spending time uh, with me today on Religion for Life.
1: Thank you, John, for for this interview. It's been excellent, and uh, and also for your interest in the project.
0: You've been listening to Religion for Life. Find out more about this program at religionforlife.com. You can find links to podcasts of all of more than 180 programs. Religion for Life. Dot .com from KBOO in Portland Oregon I'm John Schuck. be well